damn, why not? <laughs> so it was like an Antarctic marathon reunion yeah. by the time the next year came and we all got there. There was wow. about seven of us Is that right? um, from Antarctica that, that did it. So it was really cool. Wow. But, um, wow, it was tough. Really? Yeah, it was really That's hard. a great recruiting yeah. technique that she's got. I know, she's, I know. Wow, incredible. Yeah. And so yeah. that's pretty important. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I hate it. Do you? I hate it with a passion. <laughs> I, um, I'm a strong swimmer, but... Mm-hmm. I don't like being submerged underwater. In a helicopter. (laughs) Especially when you're strapped with a three-point harness upside down. (laughs) Welcome to this week's episode of Fit for FIFO. And this week we have a woman who has worked in FIFO and mining for over 35 years, uh, authored three books, uh, competed in marathons across seven different continents and including a ultra marathon in the Amazon. Welcome, Amanda. Hi, Jason. Good to be here. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show. Um, so, firstly, I'll just quickly tell everyone uh, where, we'll tell everyone where we can fo- where they can find us. So, you can find us on um, Spotify, iTunes, or Apple, iTunes, um, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Also, now we're on LinkedIn. And Amanda, how about? Um, um, probably the best place is either LinkedIn, if you do a search for Amanda Barlow, well site geologist, mm-hmm. or Instagram, Amanda Barlow 2020. Cool. Alrighty. Um, now, firstly, should we, let's actually get straight into the beer review, will we? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> things up a bit. So, we've got, a, um, we've got an IPA called Modus, and I actually didn't realise until I bought it, after I bought it, it's, it's 6%, so we'll have to go slow on these yeah. ones. <laughs> One for you. So do you drink a lot of beer? I do. That's you all do? I drink. Yeah. I don't drink wine or spirits at yeah, all. Yeah. Um, yeah, so right. you've chosen well. Right. Cool. <laughs> and this is an IPA. What sort of beers do you usually drink? Anything. Though. Anything. Yeah. <laughs> so hang on. Here we go. Cheers. Cheers. What do you reckon? Very fruity. Mm, it's nice. a bit fruity, isn't yeah. it? It's good. It's um. Could be a bit colder. I think I maybe I haven't had it in the fridge for long enough. But um, yeah, it's not too bad. Mind altering amounts of new world hops, <laughs> psychedelic reverberation of flavors. So there you go. No, that's bad. That's not bad. Sounds like it'd go down well after a marathon, actually. Yeah, yeah. Right. that's a good point. Um, what would you rate that? Like a overall experience out of five, what would you rate it? Uh, I guess four. Yeah. I like the. It has a bit of an aftertaste, like a mm-hmm. bitter aftertaste. But when you first drink it, it's really quite fruity. Yeah. I so I love that, that fruity taste. Yeah. But yeah, then it sort of dissipates. And it's <laughs> yeah, I actually had the exact same experience. Yeah. I felt like you were describing exactly yeah. that taste. So, no, that's perfect. I would say probably about the same as well. Yeah, yeah it's not a bad beer. Um, although I'm not overly keen on, like, the, the real bitterness that you sort of get. Yeah. It's nice. Cool. Um, well, let's dig into your role in FIFO and mining and um, what you do and a bit of, uh, bit of your story. Um, I guess it sort of started, um, wow, when I was about 25 years old, so about 35 years ago, Mm -hmm. and um, my husband at the time, he worked on drilling rigs, and I was working on drilling rigs as a geologist, and he ended up getting sent sort of on oil and gas rigs, Mm -hmm. and I ended up moving out there with him and was living on the rigs with him. Wow. Um, Back in those days, in the 80s, you worked, um, they were working three months on, two weeks off. Holy out on the rigs, wow. so you were just in a camp with your drilling mates. The whole crew just stayed out there for three months. Seriously. That was the rotation: three months on, two month, two weeks off. Usually, oh the for the duration of a well. Yep. 
Um, and then you'd go home for two weeks and then go back out to the next one. Jeez. And were you doing the same roster as your partner? At the I time? wasn't actually working then. I was working in the camp. Okay. Just with him. Yep. Um, so I wasn't working as a geologist then. Oh, right. Um, involved in it all though. Right. And then um, I, we got married and I had um, took time off to have three children. Okay. And he continued working out there. When my oldest was a baby, I went back out to the camp, drilling camp with him. Wow. So he was like from three months to six months old, he was living in a drilling camp. Really? <laughs> wow. In the, um, in the sandy desert over in WA. And, um, and then again, when he was 12 months old to 15 months old, he mm-hmm. lived in the camp again. Wow. So he was destined to be a driller. Right, <laughs> and he is. <laughs> working fly and fly out. Is he really? Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. And, and so when did you actually get into, did you, so you went to university after this stage? No, I'd, I'd already gone to uni and was right. a qualified geologist. So I met my husband on my first geology job. Right. He was the driller that came. So, right, yeah. Um, and I lasted it about three months after that and I took off with him when he got moved to another job. Yeah. And then we just sort of followed the work around. After I had the children, we were living in Mount Isa at the time. Uh-huh. My husband was based there. Yep. And, um, and then soon after that, I got back into geology mm-hmm. at Mount Isa Mines. Right. And um, we were living there for four years, which was the only sort of hiatus we had from working fly and fly out, really. Sure, he was yeah. promoted to a management position there. So we actually lived and were, I worked at the mine site. Right. Um, so just driving to mm-hmm. work each day. Mm-hmm. And then once we moved to the Northern Territory, um, I started working fly and fly out then. Right. So I was working back in Queensland. Okay. In northwest Queensland. Oh, yeah. Um, at Osborne Mine. Right. And I was flying in and out of there for four and a half years. Yeah, right. It was a... Good job. I like and it. and so you um, spent a lot of time working um, and living with your partner, like in like a mining camp, and also um, like a, doing a fly role as well. Um, not really. So no. it was mainly he just worked away right. for twelve weeks. So sure. for about the seven years that I was at home with the kids, yep. um, he was away for three months. Right, away right. two weeks okay. at home. Yeah, I was actually I was going to ask if yeah. if um if it was easier to work when you were both working in the industry like did you find it easier to manage like well we did at one stage when i started working fly and fly out Mm -hmm. um he was sort of had another management position in the northern territory so Mm -hmm. was working from home well in where we're living um but then soon after that he got more fly and fly out work too he changed roles and there was times when we were both working away Uh so we'd have like a family friend uh we'd pay to stay in the house Okay. For the periods where both of us would be away. Right. Because they were never timed at the same time. Sure, sure. So. Right. And. We um, managed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. A lot of juggling. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. With three kids, for sure. Um, and like the career path of, of a well site geologist or, or a geologist in FIFO and mining, um, what's, so is it four years, years of university? Is it, and then, yeah. So yeah. I did a, a Bachelor of Science degree okay. in geology. Right. And. I did my uni degree in Ballarat, which was mainly a gold mining town. Sure. So it was based on hard rock geology. Right. And that's sort of what I started in. Yep. And that's what I did for the first several years that I was working. And then after I worked at Osborne for four and a half years, I thought I'd just have a change and try and get some work offshore. Mm-hmm. And then I started working offshore. Right. So, so I've been sort of drifting between minerals, yep. um, oil and gas, coal seam gas. Mm-hmm. So I've sort of worked pretty well in every industry. Wow. And except coal and iron ore. I haven't done that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. For any reason? Um, no, it's just where opportunities have taken me, sure. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And um, I was going to ask, 
and oh, so and if you're so someone coming straight out of university, is it hard for them to get into FIFO mining? Like, you, um, not, now. not now. There was a downturn in both uh, minerals industry and oil and gas, mm-hmm. but both of them have sort of on the rebound now. Sure. Minerals has been pretty well um, buzzing for the last couple of years yeah. and they're starting to get the skill shortage kicking in again now. Right. So there's a lot of work around sure. for graduates, experienced people. Okay. Um, the opportunities are pretty good again now. Yeah. So um, oil and gas is only just starting to pick up. Okay. So there's still not too much work around. Mm-hmm. But definitely hard rock geologists, which is like mining for minerals, yep. as opposed to oil and gas, mm-hmm. um, plenty of work around. Right. And is there a massive difference between the sort of work you're doing? Huge. Is it? Yeah. Okay. It's like it's like different occupations, really. Right. Um, when I went offshore, I virtually started from the bottom again. Okay. Um, even though I had a lot, several years' experience in minerals. Yeah. Um, I sort of, yeah, you have to start at the bottom again. Wow. Oh, yeah. So and it's so a completely different career path that you follow. Is it really? It's very rare for people to swap from oh, one right. to the other. And what's the like main differences for someone? Like I don't... I, money. Money, yeah. right. And Twice as much. Okay, there you go. And in terms of the role and, and the actual work you're doing? Um, it's, it's more technical, more mm-hmm. engineering sort of a role, not mm-hmm. so much hands-on geology as such. You're not really looking at that many rocks. It's more data collection, yep. drilling parameters, um, Based, yeah, it's it's a lot more drilling technology stuff than oh. geology, really. Is that right? Um, yeah, so it's quite different. Right, and do you sort of like? I suppose you're in that role. Is your main role like communicating with the head driller, sort of thing? Um, our main role is communicating with the drilling crew mm-hmm. and the people in town. Right. So we're the intermediary okay. that collects all the data, yep. and then um, tells the advises the drillers if we have to stop at a certain point in the lithology. So yep. normally when they drill an oil well, we'll mm-hmm. drill down so far with a certain size drill bit and then we get to a certain formation where they've got a case off. Yep. So we usually tell them where they've got a case off. Okay. We, we're looking for a certain formation and a rock type. And as soon as we've got an indication either from the cuttings that come up to surface or other indications like drilling parameters, if the rate of penetration changes mm. or gas uh, changes. Uh, yeah. We know we've hit a certain um, horizon that they've got to stop at. Yeah. So we just sort of monitor it and give uh-huh. the drillers the information they need to make the decisions okay. on further drilling. Right. And all that data we collect, we send to town. Yep. And they analyse that and do all their figures right. and everything. So, so you sort of um, in charge slightly, almost of safety. So, like if you hit, like if you start getting like larger. Um, samples of gas or something then you like you sort of say like this, yeah. this is what's happening and yeah, so then they have to make a choice about all right do we keep going yeah yeah oh, yep. wow that's yep. interesting um and also are you do you have you ever come across and do you like like when they're drilling take samples sometimes you go holy shit there's a lot of whatever we're looking for in this sample yeah is that cool? normally we don't see it so much in the samples it's in the gas like for oil and gas okay um for the big wells mm-hmm. um you'll see it on the gas monitors. Yep. So yeah. where the cuttings come, when they drill the cuttings, yep. it takes like, if it's a deep well, say 2,000 metres deep, it'll mm. take half an hour for those cuttings to get to the surface. Right. So that's called the lag time. Okay. So that lag time can be up to an hour and a half, wow. depending on the depth of the well. Yep. So even though they've drilled it, mm-hmm. we don't see the, the sample for mm. another hour and a half wow. until it gets to surface, and that's when the gas comes out with it as well. So mm. we don't know the gas until it hits the surface. Is that right? So wow. there's a lag time and right. a lag depth. Yep. Um, that we log to, mm-hmm. so we can t- 
tell by drilling parameters once they've drilled it, mm -hmm. if the rate of penetration and how fast they're drilling yep. all of a sudden changes, if it yep. goes really fast all of a sudden, ah. generally that's a good indication that they've hit a sandstone reservoir that we're looking for. Right. Because it drills faster for it, especially a, a loose sandstone where right. that's a good indication of a good reservoir. Is that right? So if all of a sudden the rate of penetration just flies off, yep. then we know we've probably hit the reservoir. Wow. But we don't know for sure until we see the samples and and especially the gas come to surface. I see. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of these samples would, would also be, I suppose, um, at some stage released to media for companies that are, that are publicly listed yep. and stuff. Right. So we have to, um, the well site geologists, or the big difference between oil and gas mm -hmm. and minerals mm -hmm. is that everything is done in real time. Mm -hmm. So all of our reporting, our sample descriptions, everything is done in real time. So as we're drilling it, We've got to collect the samples or the, there's mud loggers that collect the samples for us. Yep. We have to look at it under a microscope, describe it, say where we think we are in all the lithologies, and it has to be in real time. And every morning we have to do a daily geological report oh, that's yeah. done at like 7 in the morning. Okay. And that is a summary of the 24-hour period that we've been drilling right. and all that we've found um, – different cuttings, how much gas we've had, uh -huh. things like that. And in exploration wells, in most wells, I think, they get reported to the Australian Stock Exchange every day. Is that right? So our report um, is the definitive Whoa. record of what's happened each 24-hour period. Okay. So we get scrutinised big time on it by our boss oh. in the office yep. because the person we report to, the operations geologist in mm -hmm. the office, um, they're the ones that... Um, distribute the daily geological report right. so they have to QC it right and if they don't like what we've written it comes back to us fix right? this fix that okay um everything has to be so you can't exactly, create too much hype is that sort of um or, yeah so it's it's ways. very hard you've got to know yeah like sometimes you've got to not make things look obvious okay. or make things look more obvious than yeah, what they are wow. i'm not exaggerating stuff okay but things like you got to think about but, how people interpret yeah, what you're saying. Yeah, especially things, yeah, exactly. Yep. So you don't want to create, because sometimes you don't know. Mm -hmm. Even though we've got gas, we don't know how permeable the formation is, how well it can flow. Sure. There might be gas in it, but that's only been liberated because of the bit action. Okay. So it's broken up the sandstone, so gas has been liberated. But that mm -hmm. doesn't mean the reservoir is going to flow easily I see. once you um, yeah. try and, you know, right. get going. So we can't stay too much until testing is done at the end of the drilling mm. and um that's the stuff that like uh dsts drill stem tests okay. they determine um how well the the uh well will flow mm -hmm. so um that's sort of out of our hands most of the time gotcha. the specialists that do all that okay but we're the first yeah the first um first ones to see anything that's going on there wow. so you do have to be very careful what you say sure on exploration wells like um especially offshore, yep. um, and I'm guessing onshore as well. I don't have that much experience with onshore. Mm -hmm. But um, usually real greenfields exploration wells, they're called tight, um, tight holes, meaning that the information that we gather uh -huh. is tight. No right. one's allowed to know about it. Okay. So wow. when you're actually drilling it, even in meetings with the other people on the rig, yeah. like we do a pre-shift meeting every day, yep. You're not allowed to give out any information. Really? You're not allowed to say depths of formations, percentages of gas or anything. You've got to, right? So it's so hard, like, <laughs> thinking. You have to really think before you say anything because you're at this meeting trying to give information. Without and, blowing Yeah, everything. and you've got to, like, and people are always asking you, of course, people yeah. on the rig, you know, the roughnecks and yeah. stuff like that. Just a good one. Did we hit gas? Did we? And you sort of got to just, you know, 
be non-committal and say, oh, I'm not sure yet. You've got to wait for town. Have you ever spilled the beans? <laughs> not really. People know. Yeah, sure. You know, they, they can tell because, um, well, uh, the best indicator is the gas. Right. Uh, it's the main indicator. And when you get to 5% gas, they have to put over a public announcement because you have to stop all hot work sure. on the rig. Right. Uh, you know, they have welders going, you're not allowed anything. So they have when we get 5% gas, we yep. have to notify their head on the rig and they put out a public announcement, right. all hot work permits, please bring to, <laughs> to the bridge. <laughs> so it's like, the so it's a dead the, giveaway. Right. And then they're on the phone to their mates, yeah, yeah, mate, yeah bye, yeah. bye, bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Are you, um, do you have like restrictions on, you're not allowed to invest in the companies you're working for and um, things like that? No, there is sort of insider trading. Sure, so, of course. Yeah, yeah, you have to be pretty careful. I think if you, yeah. if you get company shares allocated to you, it's different, but if you actually okay. go out and buy something yeah. while you're working on a, on a well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't like that at all. Of course, you'd be in trouble. Wow, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, I think I have heard of people in the industry that you know they've had codes that they ring their dad and you know. oh, yeah, yeah, ring them three yeah, times. Yeah, the sunrise is beautiful this morning. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, you know, indications that yeah something's good here. Yeah, and I mean it's something that will never ever until the end of time ever be stopped. Will yeah, it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So it's a bit hard, especially now with internet. Um, yeah. you know, years ago before the internet, mm-hmm. people had no communications with home. There was mm-hmm. just one phone on the rig and everyone mm-hmm. had like a five-minute limit per day or something. Right. But now with Wi-Fi on the rigs, uh-huh. you know, everyone's on social media and yeah. um, it's really hard to to control the flow of information that, yeah, that right. goes off the rig. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So um, actually moving on from that, I suppose, um, life on, on the rig. So we've had a few people uh, on the show that have worked offshore, but we've never really dug deep into it and especially... Um, I suppose with your training routine, it'd be interesting to hear a bit about that. Yeah, I love working offshore because it's so routine, mm-hmm. regimented. Um, it's sort of like being in prison only with good food and good pay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Wow. So people have to be prepared for that. Like yeah. it's um, for good reason. There's a lot of rules. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a safe place to be working. Okay, yeah. So you can't afford to have any, you know, practical jokes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, because I'm a routine-driven person, mm-hmm. I just love it. Yeah, so right. you only have to work 12-hour shifts because there's two geologists on, so cool. you work back-to-back. Yeah. So it means I can work out a good training schedule. And, mm. um, I actually trained better when I was working offshore. I trained better when I was at work than when I was at home because mm. more disruptions when you're at home. And yeah, you go, sure. oh, I'll train later. And yep. uh, Whereas at work, I've got to be in a really good routine to make sure I do it. So. Mm. Um, and offshore rigs always have really good gyms. Really? So facilities are great. Yeah. yeah. I just saw on reading one of your book um, in the blurb about running around the heli deck as opposed to running on the on the um, treadmill. Treadmill. The heli deck's just such a perfect place. Really? It's so nice. It's yeah. like the only nice place on the rig. Is that right? And um, if you're up there, sunrise, sunset, yeah. it's just magical. Mm-hmm. It's like the quietest place, even though nowhere's really quiet. Yep. But it's the furthest place away from the anyway. actual drilling floor. Sure. Uh, for safety reasons. For safety reasons, And yeah. um, And it's usually higher up. Mm-hmm. So it's just, um, it's so peaceful up there. Really? It's just beautiful, yeah. And like, you, I mean, you get sunrise and sunset over the water. Mm, so it's, yeah. it's just beautiful. But I love, I, I, I used to run more until I got used to working on a treadmill. Okay. Um, like everyone, if you've never run on a treadmill, you bag them out. Yeah. No, you can't run on them. Treadmills are terrible. You can't, it doesn't cross over onto training on the road. Mm-hmm. People convince themselves. Yeah. But, um, once I started training on a treadmill, mm. I'm actually addicted to training on a really? treadmill now. Yeah. I do all my training on a treadmill. 
But you, were you saying in that book I read, or with the blurb, that one leg will get bigger than... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when, like, for a few years I was running on the on the heli deck. Sure. And um, and after five minutes I'd change direction because the heli deck's not very big. Yeah. So I, th- I don't know, it's only a big about 20 metres across or something. Sure, diameter. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so you are running in a tight circle and you sort of get dizzy and sort of feel like one leg's, you know, on a, on a bit of a downhill from the other one. So uh-huh. I generally just change direction every five minutes sure. um, just to sort of even that out. Yeah, and yeah. it probably wouldn't be great for your, for your posture as well. I no, suppose. no, yeah. you, you would get, um, yeah, differences in your, in your physiology Yeah. Um, if you did that for like half an hour, yeah. you know, running or an hour. Sometimes I used to run up there. Really? So, um, and so how, how, long, how far are you um, running each day when you're working these 12-hour shifts? Um, when I was working offshore, the height of my training, when I was mm-hmm. sort of at my peak, yep. um, my standard weekly routine would be a 5K, a 10K, and a 21.1, so a half oh. marathon distance wow. each week. Yeah. And, um, and then I'd do weight training in between. On the shorter run day, I'd also do a bit of weight training. On right. the others, I'd just do the run and a cool down on the heli deck. Yeah. Um, and weight training every other day. Okay. And do you find it important to do that weight training too? Like, Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. My background is more in weight training than running. Uh, I, I only started running 10 years ago. Okay. I was more than 5K. Right. And, um, but I've always been into gym work. Mm-hmm. And especially now as I've got older and once I started running marathons, mm-hmm. because um, running is so catabolic, mm-hmm. especially long, slow distance running. Yeah. So as you get older... Um, like it's really important to maintain muscle mass because mm-hmm. you just lose it, you know, from 50 onwards, you know, the, the muscle just goes downhill. Right. So with that and doing marathon running as well, yep. like I really need to, yeah, yeah, I really um, focus a lot on weight training right? more than running. Just to keep that weight. Yep. And it's also um, like I've found, I, like I've run 56 marathons in the wow. last 10 years and I've never had an injury. Serious? Ever. I haven't even done a blister on my toes. Serious, wow. <laughs> but, um, and I put it down to just weight training. Yep. Um, consistent mm-hmm. all the time and doing um, a sort of a challenging weight. Okay. So that just especially on my legs, abs, mm-hmm. so core and legs yep. especially. Um, I think it just just that strengthening of your connective tissues and your bones. Yeah. Um, makes all the difference like right. I've never had a knee and like when people do get running injuries it's usually your knee your ankles your hips it's not your quadriceps your calves yeah you know, it's the joints sure and yep. um and that's what weight weight training um strengthens right. is all the connective tissue sure. so you're you're strengthening all and plus your glutes as well so yes, yes. most people don't do you know weight training it's lunges and squats yeah so it's really um you know, the foundation of running of course, is your glutes yeah. and your connective tissue. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah I think it's really important. Most yeah. people don't do it and and most people have injuries. Wow, yeah, and that's a great – you're a yeah. great um, example of yeah. – um, yeah, And, like, I'm benefits. 60 this year, so – and I still haven't had wow. any injuries running. Running seven to eight marathons a year. Really? Mm. Wow, that's incredible. Um, and what about mobility? Do you do any mobility? Like, Not much. I've got no <laughs> flexibility whatsoever. I totally ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I know I shouldn't, yeah. um, but again, I haven't had any injuries, so um, I think you can. It's hard to focus on a lot of things all mm. at once. So yeah, people tend to, yeah, sort of um, fall in with what you what you really enjoy doing. And because I'm unflexible, 
inflexible. Yeah. Um, it hurts. <laughs> like I've done yoga classes and yeah. I've been in pain just sitting waiting for the instructor to start the class. <laughs> like everyone's just sitting there cross-legged. I can't even sit cross-legged. And I'm having to put a wedge under my bum right, so right. <laughs> I can sort of feel comfortable sitting cross-legged. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's hard for me. It's yeah. challenging. So I'd, I'd rather spend the time doing weights or running. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, now... You've got a pretty impressive record of uh, like running you've done. So you've done marathons on all seven continents. Yeah, in 16 different countries. 16 different countries. Yeah, Antarctica. And Antarctica as well. Yeah. And also the ultra marathon in the Amazon, yeah. which one of your books is written about. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, it's called The Jungle. Right. That was the first book I, yeah. I wrote. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and, and your experience? or? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'd already planned to run the Jungle Marathon. It was um, in 2013 okay. I did it. Right. And um, I hadn't actually planned to do it, but I was, the year before I'd done the Antarctica Marathon. Yeah. And when you're in Antarctica, you get a tent buddy. Like right. you sleep in tents on the ice with this group that's flying. We fly down on this big Russian Aleutian jet, wow. land on this glacier. Yeah. And the camp sets, does all the work for you mm. and they – they pair everyone up into a tent buddy. Mm. My tent buddy was another 50-odd-year-old um, lady. Okay. And she was the, the direct race director of the Jungle Marathon. Oh, wow. So while we were down there for about four or five days, like captive audience on the, sure. in this one tent that we just lived in, yeah. you know, just socialised in, mm -hmm. Shirley sort of um, did her spiel on the Jungle Marathon and uh. she said, look, any, any Antarctic marathoners um, that want to do it next year, I'll give you a 20% discount. Oh, wow. So gradually over the next couple of weeks on Facebook, you know, as people coming up, yeah, I'll do it, I'm doing the, doing the Jungle Marathon. I thought, damn, why not? <laughs> so it was like an Antarctic Marathon reunion yep. by the time the next year came and we all got there. There was wow. about seven of us. Is that right? Um, from Antarctica that, that did it. So it was really cool. Wow. But, um, wow, it was tough. Really? Yeah, that, it was really That's hard. a great recruiting yeah. technique that she's got. Going, I know, I know. Wow, incredible. Yeah. And so, and tell us a bit about that then. The, the, um... So it was, um, yeah, several days in the Amazon jungle. It was fully self-sufficient. Okay. So you had to carry everything um, that you're going to use for the whole seven wow. days on your back. Seven days. Yep. And, um, and it was hot, humid. Right. And surprisingly, which I had no idea, it was actually mm. hilly. Really? And the hills were like straight up and down. Serious? It was, oh my God, they just went on and on. Was, oh I would never have expected that. I, I really? didn't know they were there. So, but it just killed you. Yeah. And and it was like all leaf litter all mm -hmm. over them. Mm -hmm. So they were so steep, your feet would like, you'd have to oh. dig your foot in and try and scrape the leaf litter to get yeah, into the dirt. Right. So your foot would grip. Oh my God. And you'd go to hold on to trees, yep. but there was all like killer ants on them. So I like had gloves. What? like. All this, like, I just dressed from head oh, to toe. So this is like an gloves. action shot from the... Yeah, this was in going through a swamp. Right. You look like Lara Croft. This, this was going through a swamp. <laughs> wow. Like, thigh deep yeah. in this mud through a swamp. And, um, and you were number three. Yeah. Out of how many? Four. <laughs> no, it's about 50 of us. Is that? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you can't. You sleep in a hammock. Like, you have to carry the hammock in your back as on your back as well. Right. And uh, when you get to the camp each night, you've got oh. to put your hammock up and sleep wow. in that. And have you got a mosquito net, I suppose? Yes, I had to yeah. have a mosquito net mm -hmm. over it. And um, so we, like, had to swim through rivers, wow. river what crossings. what about wildlife did you see? 
I didn't see much. There was like jaguars there. They had there was men with guns like Serious. patrolling with us. How, were they running with you, or they? They just they? went from camp to camp. Oh right. And um, because so, I wasn't out in front, mm-hmm. I think the front runners sort of scared all the animals off. Oh, thank God. Um, <laughs> so I never saw anything. I got stung by wasps. Oh. Like nearly everyone did, there was a nest of them somewhere on the track, Jeez. and that was horrible because I didn't know how long this because it it really really stung, yeah. and you didn't know how long it was going to last for this right. sting. I think, oh my god, is this going to like go away? Because <laughs> it was just like it was a wasp. But uh, when it first happened, did you know straight away? It was yeah. A wasp? Okay. So yeah, because not... I saw them, and right. all of a sudden it got me like a couple uh. of places, but one really bad one on my neck. They worse. Oh, and I just like ran. I was already so tired, but you just uh, run. Were they w- worse than the ones here? Like just normal. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a really bad sting, and it probably lasted for about five minutes. Oh, and I think, God, please go away, go away. Thinking if this just stays there, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. going to be agony. Right. And but it did. And um, but then every time you saw a wasp after that, you just like bolt. Well, I get stung again. <laughs> and um, and the race director actually the night before we started, she got yeah. stung by a bullet ant which oh. are like one of the most painful bites of any insect really? in the world. And I'd read about it, I'd write about it in the book. Because yep. the night before I left home, mm-hmm. my son, who was driving me to the airport the next day, he, um, he'd been reading up about the Amazon jungle. Uh-huh. And he said, oh, there's these things called bullet ants. He said, I don't want you to get bitten, but it's sort of been cool so you could tell me what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. Oh, man. Anyway, so he dropped me off at the airport the next day and, it's funny because he works fly and fly out too, so we both always just do the shuttle run to the airport, dropping one and who's ever at home, drops yeah. the other off. And, and he, like, he's just a typical, you know, 20-something son, who's yeah. over 30 now. But yeah. he, um, you know, just, you just get out of the car and see her. You know, yeah, bye. Yeah. Anyway, he gets out of the car as I'm getting my bag. He's like, oh, I better say goodbye. You know? <laughs> and he comes around and gives me this big hug. I thought, what am I getting myself for? <laughs> yeah, what have I done? <laughs> but anyway, it turns out the night before we started running, mm-hmm. The race director, Shirley, mm-hmm. and my tent buddy, got bitten by a bullet ant. Oh, wow. She was doing a recon of the day's route for the next day mm-hmm. and sat on a log mm-hmm. and got bitten by one. She was on a drip with painkillers oh, for wow. 12 hours. Okay. Two of the medics carried her to the race, like, briefing yep. and um, said it was the most agonising thing right. she had ever been through. Wow. She was just out cold, you know, on, on painkillers. Oh, and... Um, so, yeah, I thought, thanks, Shirley, for taking one for the team. Yeah, <laughs> so I didn't have to do it. <laughs> so then, like, every time you – there was lots of logs that you had to, you know, climb over. Yep. And you'd be so wrecked. You'd, oh, I just want to, like, sit on it while you – I can't sit on it. It's going to be bullet ants. Yeah, <laughs> and you could see all the ants on the all the trees. Really? You know, you have to be careful what you held on to. Yeah. Like, I had uh, training gloves on sure. the whole way to avoid, you know, getting touched by any. All the plants have got, like, thorns this big on them. Yeah. So it's really hard to, like, touch anything. Was there a track or did, how did you know where um, It was a track, but most of it was just cut through for the race. Really? And yeah. there was little bits of flagging tape that you had to follow, but some okay. of the flagging tape was there from previous years and oh. just rotted away. Jeez. Or it was, like, a greeny yellow colour, so it just looked like the trees. Yeah. People got lost all the time. Really? Um, I got lost at one stage. I was following the flagging tape uh-huh. and then... I sort of crossed, stepped over this log, and I had this like deja vu feeling as I'm stepping over it. Mm. I'm thinking, no, I'm still following the tape. I can't be lost. And anyway, then all of a sudden, there's other guys coming towards oh me. That damn, I'd done a big loop somewhere and was really? following the track back. Wow. And I just stuck with these people there because I thought, oh, I don't want to get lost. And um, one girl did get lost. I was stopped at one of the checkpoints, huh. and um, I saw, we come in one end, and I saw this French lady coming mm. from the other way. Mm. I thought. 
even in my fatigue state, yep. I was my brain was thinking, what, is she coming from that way? Yeah. And she sort of met the medics and she already had this blank look on her face like she knew something was wrong. She said, is this checkpoint three? And they uh, go, no, this is checkpoint two. Oh, you were no. here an hour ago. <laughs> oh, she didn't She done all that, all that distance and she just stayed there for hours, I think. She, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God, I'm glad that's not me. Gosh. So it was a risk that, you know, it was always a chance you could get lost. Uh, and, and in past years you've heard of horror stories of people getting sure. lost out there. And there were such long days that yeah. you would end up in there in the dark yeah. um, if wow. you did. And how far was the actual, like, the total race? 278. Uh, kilometers 278 kilometers yeah. or 256 sorry 256 yeah. holy yeah shit. so um would you recommend it to other people um if you're into brutal ultra marathons yeah. sure wow. it was an amazing experience gosh and how many years and tra- had you been training before that none i just really? sort of yeah i mean i'd always worked and trained in warm climates so yeah. i wasn't too worried about that i'd already done like was doing several marathons a year okay and um so, yeah, sort of, and I was working offshore, so mm-hmm. I couldn't really do much more than what I was anyway. Sure. And, was, and the, was the Antarctica one a good experience also? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. And how did you, um, did you run like with? It was just on ice on the glacier. You okay. ran on the, like, just with trail runners on. Yep. Um, and you didn't even need that many clothes because you did actually get quite, quite warm. Right. Had like a Gore-Tex jacket on mm. and, um, and just like layers underneath. Yeah. But, um. But amazing scenery, like the air is so crystal clear. You can see for miles and you've mm. got no perception of distance mm. because the air is so clear. Really? These, and it was um, like it's about 4,000 metres of ice you're right. running on. Yeah. And you've got these like little hills like this, just mm-hmm. barren rock, but it's actually the top of a mountain range that's 5,000 metres high. Really? So it's all just like 4,000 metres of ice and then these little peaks oh my and there's all glaciers just coming down in between all the peaks yeah. down onto the main glacier that we're that we're running on wow. just in every like gap between them Jeez. there was all these glaciers flying so for geologists that's just like yeah, <laughs> geoporn wow. yeah so so a, a lot of like you're running and you're, you're traveling is i suppose is exploring and and um adventure as well for oh you. yeah yeah and the great thing about, especially trips like that, mm-hmm. uh, where you're in groups, like it's such a great bunch of people. Like it's just so mm-hmm. fun. All you do is talk about marathons and, yeah. and um, tell war stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it, it's great. So sure. you meet some really interesting people. Yeah, and like I meet up with all these people around the world now at different marathons yeah. and yeah, cool. connected so to them. You can get them to um, watch the program. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. I get to see. I talk about them. Cool. Um, well, I might um, just. Uh, brush over so um, we did a little segment on faces of FIFO for you uh, last week I think it was yeah there's a few tips and I just wanted to dig into those tips and about um, what they mean so um, uh, one of the tips I mean it sounds so simple but um, get along with people um, now it does sound really simple but in FIFO what's the difference working in FIFO and mining um, the importance of getting along with the people you work with as opposed to in the well you you've got to remember that you're not only working with them you're living with them yeah um, 24 hours a day you yeah. eat your meals with them you sometimes have to sleep in the same room with them sure um so yeah you can't just like shut them out when you knock off mm-hmm. and go home to your you know your family and stuff yep so you've got to get along or else it just makes it unbearable out there yeah and i found um also in my work mm. like a lot of people sometimes you know 
don't care about someone else's role. You know, they're just idiots over there. Yep. But I, I found that if I made an effort to get along with people and help them out, yep. they help me. Sure. So it's, you know, it works both ways. Yep. So, you know, if the crane driver's doing something, you know, dumb, I, you know, I won't get up him because I know I'm going to need that crane driver yeah, gotcha. to move my samples around. Yeah. And so the better you get along with everybody, mm -hmm. um, the easier it makes your job, that's for sure. Gotcha, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, and that's yeah, really good insight. Um, now pretend it's your perfect job. I think you have to if you're if you're out there. Otherwise, yep. you'll just make yourself miserable. Yeah, you know you're working twelve plus hours a day mm -hmm. uh, for up to four weeks straight. Yep. And if you're if you're just dreading every single moment of it, yeah. um, it's a long four weeks. For sure. So you just got to make the most of it. And yeah. and again, getting along with people is a big big part of that. Yeah. So you know you you make it as much fun as you possibly can. Exactly. And um, I always like to find like talk to people on a personal level, find out about their you know their family, their yeah. kids, and and. Um, and it makes people more at ease and you sort of get yeah. along better other because you know you see people all they talk about is the work the job that you're doing yeah but once you and especially if you remember you can see um how people feel more at ease like you'll get back on after another you know a few hitches and you meet up with someone because with different rosters you know you, sometimes you don't see people for a few months again yeah and you'll see someone that you, you know you remember they said that their daughter was just finishing hsc or something yeah and like you know if you all of a sudden you see them <clears> at dinner and you say oh how'd your daughter go in her exams mm. and like it's like a big thing for people for sure. when someone remembers something yeah. about you personally yeah definitely. and um you find that you just gel with people a lot better definitely. so i tend to try and do that yeah. not i mean i don't I don't do it in a false sort of a way. No, I am just, genuinely interested, yeah, right. and it just makes your time out there a lot Definitely more fun. Creates more depth in your yeah. relationship. Yeah. Um, to just the surface work talk, which is um, yeah, yeah, I get that yeah. completely. And I think probably guys aren't used to that because men don't usually communicate like that yep. as much as women do. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think that's you know a, a one up for women that we sort of have that personal touch, so it does make it a lot nicer environment yeah, to work in. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. And to introduce that as well into the the, um, the industry as well is a good thing. Yeah, to try yeah. And it. yeah, that's yeah. great. Um, now the, the final one you had was um, if it's not for you, get out. Oh, definitely. I mean, the, it's a very big issue for a good reason. Um, yeah. Mental health issues in the fly and fly out industry, mm -hmm. and like because I've been in it for so long, mm -hmm. like for thirty five years, yeah. and back in those days, like I said, we worked 12, 12 weeks on, two weeks off. These, these drilling crews. Yeah. And, um, but it was so different. You can't compare them at all. Mm. And, um, and I know if now there's just so, so many fly and fly out, um, uh, places in Australia, yep. it was only small back then. So mm. now it's like more mainstream, yep. but it's not a mainstream lifestyle that sure. most people can handle. Yep. And because it's so well accepted now and everyone knows about it, Everyone just assumes that, oh, yeah, I can do it. Yep. Um, but it's not for everyone. Sure. You know, it's people have to be aware that it is like being in prison. Yeah, You know, exactly. you, you're isolated. Yeah, yep. institutionalised. There's mm. so many rules and mm. and um, and you can't always call your family every day. And, yeah. And um, so for people, you know, people are social beings. Yes. And so once that's taken away from you, yep. um People that have never had to experience that before will find it really difficult. Yeah. So, yeah, if, if you find that you're really struggling with relationships yep. um, when you're out there, 
you really have to reconsider whether it's for you. Yeah, sure, and, and accept that. I yeah. think it's important that yeah. sometimes, yeah, it's just not for you. Um, I think that also comes back to um, you mentioned earlier um, about how productive you feel, like when you're working in FIFO or when you're on rigs and stuff. And I think like that the whole um, environment is created for being for productivity. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like even down to the the way you eat, like you can you can get in, eat, and out in fifteen minutes. Yeah. You know? And that's like almost impossible at home when you're going to prepare your own food. And, yeah. And even like the, I, I believe like it's designed like this, which makes sense. Is like the camps they're very dull, like really you know not too many colours and stuff, so that you're on this one track mindset. You know, you just like to continue. Which I mean, yeah. it, it works great, and it can actually. It, you can use that to your advantage when you, um, yeah. if you're trying to do something outside of FIFO, you know, in your spare yeah. time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, no, yeah, yeah I, I, well, just touching on that, like, mm -hmm. um, if you only work a 12 hour shift mm -hmm. only, I'm yep. used to working like 24 straight now. Sure. Um, but that still gives you time to like do other things. And mm -hmm. if you're going to be looking at doing FIFO for long term, yep. like, I found it was really helpful to be studying something else at the same time. Sure. Having yep. an interest outside of it other than just um, sitting in your room and watching movies or something, like mm. just being productive. Yep. And um, I sort of enjoyed that side of it. Yeah, Doing, sure. You know, having achieved something when I get home. Yep. And then you don't have to do that study when you're at home. Exactly, and, yeah. And um, it's more time to spend with your family. Yeah. I, I found, I was talking to a friend earlier actually about it, um, that my planning for what I do outside of um, work hours, like I put it down to 15 minute blocks because it's that, like you have that, you know, not have a lot of time, so yeah. you've really got to get done and you actually yeah. just get it done and yeah. you're really efficient. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's really interesting, isn't yeah. it, how you operate? Yeah. No, you've got to be routine driven. Yeah. That's for sure. Otherwise it would drive you nuts out there. Yeah, definitely. Um, now let's dig a bit more into the other books that you've um, written and just talk yeah. about what um, they're about. And um, So... I hadn't sort of planned on writing any books. They just sort of happened over yeah, time. So the Jungle Marathon book happened because um, the rig I was on uh, wasn't going to be drilling for about a three-month period. Okay. So we knew that we would have three months of downtime. Wow. And so I had to go home. And I thought, book. I hate wasting time, you know. I hate wow. being not being productive. And I thought, well, what can I do in three? I don't want to just waste three months of my life and not have anything to show for it at the end. <laughs> That's great. And I thought, oh, no, I can write a book about the Jungle Marathon. Wow. And um, so I had this really steep learning curve on how to write a book. Seriously? And um, and in the three months, mm -hmm. um, I hadn't quite finished it and I was still having someone proofread it for me yep. when I went back on the rig. And then just before I finished that hitch, I sort of hit the Publish Now button on Amazon and really? published it while I was on the rig. Yeah. Wow. On Amazon. That's incredible. And so... <laughs> So did you use a publisher or is it uh, just Amazon? So Amazon. I just self-published on Amazon. Okay. Cool. It's so easy, like so easy, and it's um, right. yeah, they they have so many good tutorials and uh -huh. yeah, every step of the way you just sort of Google how do I do this and wow. and teach yourself every every little step. How many pages? Two hundred. Two fifty six. I think it is. Two fifty six. Wow. So that was, and then I went back to work for a while, and then the downturn came, mm -hmm. and I knew I was going to be off work. You know, could have been. A, at the time, I thought just a year was going to be a long time. Yeah. Three years later, I was still going. But um, again, I thought, oh, I've got to do something. And mm. so I thought, well, I might write a book about my career. <laughs> and so I was being, I was sort of being active on LinkedIn. Yeah. Trying to keep my name up, you know, popping up and yep. and just being connected to people in the industry so I could, you know, I could feel the pulse of, you know, what was going on. Yeah. So I thought, well, if I wrote a book, it would be like really, it's like a, it's like an extended version of my CV. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, so it explains sure. all of my jobs that I've done. Yeah. 
and yeah, about living, doing FIFO and where I've worked all around you know the world. And wow. So I thought it'd be a good way to sort of have my face on you know in LinkedIn. So I launched yeah. it when I published it. I launched sure. it on LinkedIn and yeah. and um, so yeah. And then through that book, mm-hmm. um, I had a connection in Houston um, from a lady over there who was started up this community for oil and gas workers, mainly for women. Okay. Uh, it was called Pink Petro. Okay. And um, Katie Maynard is the founder of Pink Petro. Right. She contacted me and she was like really interested in the book and yeah. and, um, and she was having a, a conference. Mm. Um, so that was sort of November, she contacted me, I think. Oh, no, maybe July, August, September or something. Yep. And then the following March, she was having this um, Her World conference mm. in okay. Houston. And she said, look, I'd like you to, we're going to have a panel on surviving the downturn and I'd love you to be one of the panellists on it. We can do it by Skype, yep. you know. And anyway, as I was got quite, and then I thought, well, no one's going to know me at the conference. So I, yep. might, so I started writing articles on LinkedIn about the different jobs, role descriptions that work on an offshore oil rig. Okay. And so each week I'd put on an article about what the well site geologists do, what the wildline loggers do, nice. about the drillers, yep. the roughnecks, um, the marine crew. So I sort of featured a different, you know, occupation. Mm. And, um, and it got closer to the conference time. I thought, actually, I've written a lot of stuff here. I might put it into a book. Wow. And so I put it all together in a book yeah. and called it Offshore Oil and Gas People. Oh, and, um, and I thought, well, I can, like, take this over to the conference with me. Wow. So, I, so, again, I had, a, like, a three-month limit that I had to get it all done so that I could get the book sent to Houston in time for this conference. Yep. So I managed to, to do all of that. So Incredible. I sort of had this book. It just sort of – I felt that it gave me a bit more um, – I don't know, like, I'm a bit of a, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, um, sure. Authority um, on offshore drilling. So, yeah. And plus most people that would be at this conference are all um, like office, work in the offices, not mm. on rigs. Yeah. So most of them really don't know anything about what happens. It's uh, called upstream. So yeah. sure. um, oil and gas. So I thought it'd be a, you know, a bit of a, as I said, overview of offshore drilling operations. So it's very basic. You yeah. know, I'm not a an offshore driller um, expert at all, right. but it's just how I see it because a lot of people don't even know what what sort of occupations there are on the rig. Yeah. So for people wanting to get into the industry, yeah. they can have a read of this and see what it is and um, the different uh, sort of listed companies for different occupations okay. that you'd be able to contact yeah. and what it's like working offshore. Um, and you is, know, it, has of it, is it written in like a, um, a novel style format? No, or? it's actually more just a... Technical sort of thing, right? Um, it hasn't. It's not a like fictionalized mm-hmm. version of someone yeah. working offshore. Right. It's just stating all the facts, the facts of what these people do, okay. um, the qualifications you'd need to do each of these roles, yep. um, the sort okay. of rosters each role works because everyone's so different. Yeah, um, that's a good. One. So yeah, it was just information, and also for people, maybe families of people yep. that work offshore mm-hmm. who have no idea what their partners do yeah, while they're offshore. Sure, um, it, it you know, gives, gives them a bit of an information as well. And I think yeah. it's a great, like all these books. Well, these two in particular, I suppose, it's just such a great sign of um, someone who takes pride in their work as well, which is great. You know? Yeah, it's, I mean, you have a lot of, of knowledge, and yeah. I guess you don't really think about it until mm. once I started writing the book, yeah. and um, and. Yeah, that's especially why that second book came off because yep. I thought, you know, yeah, you know, a lot of people don't have any idea yeah. what goes on out there. Yeah. So it was just a way, of, and and again, just a way of keeping busy through the downturn and yeah. um, keeping my mind ticking along and yeah. trying to be productive. And that, um, I suppose that taking pride in your work almost comes 
before enjoying your job, doesn't it? Like it's something you sort of start doing and then, yeah. and then enjoying your job is like a result of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Cool. Um, just another thing about, um, so working offshore, uh, you have to do your BOCIA. Yeah. That's pretty important. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I hate it. Do you? I hate it with a passion. <laughs> I, um, I'm a strong swimmer, but I don't like being submerged underwater. In and a especially, helicopter. <laughs> especially when you're strapped with a three-point harness upside down. Yeah. <laughs> And you've got to push out the window to, yeah, to escape. Right. Um, just knowing when to take that breath when the capsule's going underwater yeah. and it's filling up with water. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> like it's, I just, just get so anxious about yeah, it. Yeah. Um, you just, the stress makes you not be able to hold your breath for very long. Yeah. Like if you're just relaxed in a pool, sure. you try holding your breath, you can probably do it for 10 times longer than what you would in yeah. that situation. Right. And um, Maybe Wim, yeah. Hof's, Wim Hof's method. Have you seen Wim no. Hof, the Iceman? Oh, he has like this um, controlled breathing thing that he does. Well, I'm seriously considering doing one of those um, free diver, yep, free diving courses yep. to try and figure out how to like kill my anxiety yeah, and, sure. and help me relax because I know that a lot of it's in your mind. Yeah, and there's um, a few on the Gold Coast actually. Oh, is it? Good ones. Yeah, like oh, cool. a lot of surfers and um, like big wave surfers and free divers and stuff too. I'll have to, because I've only heard of people going to Vanuatu and places yeah. like this to do them. No, there's, there's one, oh, I think I'll there's a couple on the that. Gold Coast. Yeah, yeah. that'd be good. Because it does freak me out. And so what happens, you're in, in this, um, like a... It's a simulated module. Yeah. It simulates just the the seat in the chopper mm -hmm. and the three-point harness. Yep. And you have a life jacket on. And you've got other people in this. In yeah, this so it's about 10 at seats. Yep. And, um... So it practices because... And, and it's representing a helicopter. Yeah. Yeah. So usually when helicopters do um, ditch, yep. they will turn over because the rotors are so top heavy. Right. It causes the top I of the see, yep. to capsize to turn around. Right. And um, so the idea is that you go under and the water like fills up and then the module rotates around. Uh, so it's on like this track yep. thing that's suspended. And, um, and it rotates and you're not allowed to start trying to release your belt until you feel there's a bit of a jerk when it, the motion stops mm -hmm. so it, you know when it's fully upside down. Right. It's simulating a proper helicopter crash because you can't try and escape before it's completely turned over because you'll hit the rotor blade. The rotor blades will still oh, be going. Oh, yes, of course. So, you know, that's part of the the theory that you've got to yep. wait until that movement stops right. and then try and escape. Yeah. So by this time you're upside down and it doesn't sound that traumatic but You've got no idea how um, uh, you just how you're gonna react. In that yeah, situation. you just don't know. You can't. It's hard to pick where which yep. way is up and down, and oh, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. there's a whole process that you go through that you have like your hand on the window mm -hmm. and um, or your hands like different places, and then you have the so that you reach for the window okay. and you know where it is straight away with this arm. Yep. And you're so disorientated. It's mm. it's really unbelievable. Oh, yeah. 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 Until you actually do it, you don't realize how freaky it is yeah sure and um and then yeah so the process is like you reach for the window and then you um push the window out mm -hmm. and like pull yourself out mm -hmm. and um and then swim up to the surface so you're burning so much nervous energy yeah as well. yeah wow so you come up i suppose you're just yeah. gasping yeah <laughs> and do you get uh you get scored or you have to yeah pass? so there's usually about five ditches yep. that they do so they do it in stages mm -hmm. so the first one um there won't be any windows in the in the frame yep. and you just go straight down without turning okay. and then you go just swim out sure. then it will go down and they'll put the windows in yep. and you've got to practice pushing the window out there's right. beading around the window so mm -hmm. you pull that beading out uh, and yep. then push the window gotcha and then you get out without sort of having to go do it upside down 
and then so they ease you into the full the full thing right, and then right. um it'll go down i think without the windows in and rotate and you just go out mm-hmm. so each each change takes a few more seconds mm-hmm. to have to think and do something react yeah. okay yeah wow and uh, and there's all there's all seat survival training as well right yeah oh, okay and how often do you do that every four years every four you have to right. renew it and is it then there's a difference as BOSIT and tea BOSIT yeah so BOSIT is just cold water mm-hmm. tea BOSIT is tropical the tea is for tropical gotcha and so tropical. you'll actually do that same thing in the, the only difference cold is the cold water one actually uses a respirator rebreather thing that oh, you have yeah. to use okay so in um places I know the North Sea do it yep so I've worked over there, and you have a rebreather like a bladder, mm-hmm. and it gives you an extra few minutes um, that you can breathe into it, and you right. can breathe back off your own um, exhaled yeah, sure. breath mm-hmm. to give you a few extra minutes to escape. To get out. Um, most tropical places don't do that. The, mm-hmm. the T-Bose doesn't do the rebreather training, but okay. the cold water one does do it. Okay. So that's the only difference in the two. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. So that's one of your, your least favourite things. Oh, I hate it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. Okay. And, um, and I, I suppose apart from that... Um, like 35 years in this industry, what what are some of the challenges, the biggest challenges you've found? Um, I guess adapting, like I've, because I've sort of worked different roles mm-hmm. and I've always worked as a contractor mm-hmm. uh, and well site geology is contract work. Okay. So you're always adapting to new companies, you know, right. new sets of rules, yep. um, learning new stuff, uh, learning the geology of new fields that you're working in. Yeah. So you're always out of your comfort zone. Yeah, you know, okay. you're always having to, you know, start from scratch again in a new job and a new company and a new field and yeah. yeah, and learn the, r- the way around the rig every time you change rigs yeah. and, and fill so, out paperwork every time you yeah, apply yeah, for a yeah, job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And all the um the safety systems and everything. Yeah. So um yeah, you have to be prepared to yeah, go through a lot of uh, that stuff when yeah. you're a contract geologist, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And what's um your best tip on, um, I suppose, maintaining your health in, in working in this sort of Oh, just stuff. routine. Like, you have to be in a good routine. Yeah. It's so easy to say, oh, I'll just do it tomorrow, or, you know, you watch TV too long, so you just go to bed. Yeah. Um, I never watch TV. I've worked fly and fly out for over 35 years. I've never turned a TV on in my room ever. Really? Um, I just go and sleep. Yep. So all my spare time is spent training, mm-hmm. and I go to bed early and get up early before work mm-hmm. and always try I never go to work without training right so I do something either weight training or running yeah um, do you find before shift pretty balanced and um and, yeah yeah and it's like it's my time sure. you know I just put my music on yeah and um the whole rig could be burning down and I wouldn't even know <laughs> you know it's just I just chill and in the zone yeah and um it's just my way of I guess of finding a normal for me because training is like what I live for. Sure, sure. And um, so I just block everything out. I love it. Right. Have you ever gone through a, a period where you didn't train or couldn't train for some reason and, you know, like the, what, how it's affected you? This job that I'm on now yep. is the first one. Really? Um, working offshore, you always have a gym okay. and you work 12-hour shifts, so you have a back-to-back. Mm-hmm. So you can create a routine. Um, onshore oil and gas, generally a lot of the time you're the only geologist on the rig, so you mm-hmm. work just a rotating 24-hour Mm. Seven day a week shift um, in between the drilling operations. Right. So um, you know you just grab sleep where you can. Yeah. And there's no gym. Um, okay. I live on the rig, like yeah, right. next in the the lease, the yeah. square that the rig sits on. I'm in a room there. Yeah. Yeah. So you really yeah. it'd be hard to switch. So off. occasionally I get over a, a two week hitch. I've got say three runs uh, along really. the dirt track. Yeah. And how do you find that affects you? 
oh, I love it when I get out on that rig, on yeah, that run. That run. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's frustrating not being able to train, that's for sure. Yeah, sure. Mm. Okay. Well, um, that covers a lot of um, what I think we set out to um, cover. <laughs> it's been really good chatting to you. Um, might just uh, ask you a couple of quick little fun questions, if you don't yeah. mind. Um, so uh, these are... Hey, this one, um, what what purchase of, let's say, $200 or less um, has had the most positive impact on your life? Oh, it would have to be, like, something to do with training. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> a pair, pair of joggers or what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always exciting getting a new pair of runners. Yeah, <laughs> sure, that's good. <laughs> Especially if you buy them online and they finally come in the mail. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Okay, definitely. cool, that's a great answer. Um, now, what's a, an unusual habit or... Um, absurd thing about yourself that you love? Um, I guess just how nuts I am about routine and mm -hmm. training. Yep. Um, and I guess food, what's like, I'm a really, really picky eater. Okay. And which has always worked in my favour, I think, because I've never had an issue with putting on weight or. Yeah. Because I, unlike most people, I have to make myself eat more. You right. know, I, I tend to not eat and yep. I forget, I get carried away doing stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, I just forget to eat. Really? And um, banana smoothies are my go-to go-to <laughs> go meal. Are you on any like certain diet? Like, no, I've no. never been on a diet. I just don't eat much as it is. Right. And I try to eat um, like I might have a chocolate bar or something. Mm. But the difference between me and most people is that they'll have a chocolate bar, then they'll still have their lunch yeah. or they'll still have their dinner. Right. Whereas that will fill me up, and right. that will be my dinner. Right? And um, so I won't be able to eat for another few hours after yeah. that. Um, so, yeah, so I try not to snack on that because I know I need nutritional food. Yep. And if I eat that junk food, I'm not going to eat any nutritional food. Right. So the calories I eat, I really make sure are good ones mm -hmm. because I know I won't have an appetite for another three hours to eat mm. something nutritional. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I do that all. I don't think about it. Okay. It just happens naturally. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, like, on the way home from the gym, I'm really hungry. And if I go in to get some bananas or something, and yep. I'll be tempted to get a chocolate bar or something so I can eat it like straight away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think no, because then I won't feel like my banana smoothie when I get home. So <laughs> yeah, sure I don't. So yeah. discipline, yeah, sure. Yeah. Right. Um, so the final question I've got for you um, now: If you were to meet a um, a seventeen year old Amanda, just like leaving school, yeah, and you had um, some advice to give her, what would that be? Based on everything you've experienced in your life. Wow, you know it's so hard because when I wrote that book. Mm -hmm. It's sort of, I hadn't even thought about it before, but how difficult my career had actually been. Yeah, right. and, um, and because I was affected so badly by the downturn, yep. for like three years really with no work, mm. um, it makes you sort of bitter in a way right. that you've had this great career and no one wants you all yeah, of a sudden right. for three years. So it's your identity yeah. and then all of a sudden you don't belong. Yeah, almost. and um, right. it sort of makes you a bit angry, you right. know, and, and I know at times I thought I wouldn't recommend anyone to be a geologist yeah. because they're just going to be thrown in the heap. Mm -hmm. You know, we're just used, you yep. know, with the cycle with the cycle of the resources and yep. um, they don't care less about us when, you know, when things go down. Yeah. And so I guess just trying to show people how to manage the downturn, prepare for them. Yeah. Because be, up until this one, mm. even though I'd worked in the industry for 35, 30 odd years, mm. I'd never been affected by one. I'd yeah. always maintained work right. throughout every downturn in the minerals and oil and gas. 
Yeah. I'd always, through word of mouth, just maintained um, work all the time. Mm. But the industry has really changed in the last 10 years, I guess. Mm. Up until then, you worked for the operating company directly. You'd be a contractor, right. but you'd work directly through them. They would pay you. Mm. Now it's all through agencies. Yeah. They don't care, care less about who you are. Yeah. They, um, The operating companies just wipe accountability for all the contractors. Sure. It's just on the heads of the agencies. So they're just skimming so, a bit yeah, off. Yeah. yeah, so word of mouth doesn't carry as much weight now yeah um it yeah it's it really is a different playing field mm. to what it was 10 years ago sure so um you... not for the best yeah um so you have to learn how to navigate that and how to make it work mm. um in your favor yeah uh, i mean you can't come out on top of it yeah because the fact is that agencies now take the cream off your salary yeah. what you used to get paid directly yeah they, the operating companies now have to pay the agencies right to supply you, so, yeah. so um, they're not paying an extra fifty percent on top of what you used to get to yeah. pay the agencies. It's coming off what you used to get, so it's not. It's certainly not a fair system now. Right, right. Um, which, because I've lived through all these changes, it does mm. make you bitter. Mm. People now don't understand that because yep. that's the only way they've known. Of course, yeah. Um, whereas, yeah, you know, um, you know, like maybe. Probably a good example. Um, using numbers, yep. no one likes to, you know, mention salaries or day yeah. rates or anything. Yep. But I'll be open and honest with you. Sure, like yeah. um, as an example, ten years ago, I was mm -hmm. working in coal seam gas mm. as a contractor directly to the company. Mm -hmm. I was on a thousand dollars a day. Mm -hmm. Ten years later, last year, mm. I was doing exactly the same job, having to go through an agency on six hundred dollars a day. Really? So yeah. that agency would have been getting four or five hundred dollars wow. off the top of my day rate. Yeah. Um, to supply me. Wow. So yeah, when when you've seen both sides of it, yep. it um, does make you a little bit angry. Yeah, so sure. you've got to. I mean, I don't like to spread that to people because yeah. people who are just starting in the industry now mm. don't know any different. Yes, so yeah. they've just got to yeah, yeah. be aware that um, yeah. yeah that that's how it is now. And I think yeah, from what I'm what I just heard, I think like your one of your your important messages there, what you're saying is. Like you need to learn to deal with adversity in a yeah. sense, and and I think that's goes and um, in every, goes to say with everything in life, you know, yeah. like you, you're always going to come up against things, and you. Just I think that's one of the biggest issues in fly and fly out mm -hmm. with mental health issues, yep. which mental health issues is probably caused by yep. the fact that people are earning these large incomes, mm -hmm. and they think it's going to go forever. Yes, and and it and it doesn't. No, um, right. So you've got to be aware of there's going to be a downturn eventually. Yep. It never goes on forever. It is so cyclical and mm. it always will be. Yeah. So it's all the cycles are starting to ramp up again now. Yep. So eventually a skills shortage cuts in yep. because a lot of people have left from the yeah. downturn or um, they have to re-employ people yep. and try and get them in a hurry because they always ramp up really fast. Sure. And then they can't get enough skilled people to yeah. do the jobs. So it all starts again. You yeah. know, it's one big vicious cycle. So, yeah, and then yeah. they're trying to get the best people so they, the day rates go up. Yep. So everyone starts getting more and more money. Yeah. And you think, oh, this is really good and start, you know, buying big houses and yeah. flush four-wheel drives and stuff. Yep. And then you find out, you know, all of a sudden, it, and it goes like that. It just yeah. dies yep. overnight. Yeah. And um, no matter how many times it happens, people still don't see it coming. Yeah, history repeats yeah. itself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's interesting. I think that that inside that, like, that's pretty much everything in life, isn't it? Really, yeah. you just need to be prepared. And nothing's yeah. ever certain, is it? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Cool. Well, um, that pretty much wraps up our um, chat today. That's been really good. 
Uh, well, just before we finish, we'll um, just remind everyone where they can find you and, and us. Yeah. So if you want to tell us first. Um, on LinkedIn, yeah. um, I'm quite active, so I check that every day. Mm-hmm. Um, if you search Amanda Barlow, well-site geologist, I think there's a lot of Amanda Barlow's, but sure. um, just put well-site geologist in and you'll find me. Mm-hmm. Or on Instagram, Amanda Barlow 2020. Cool. And we, um, we tag a, f- a few of your own posts, so yep. people might see them on there. But um, for us, you can find us now on um, Apple iTunes or po- Apple Podcasts, rather, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, um, Instagram, and now we're on LinkedIn. So, um, yeah, give us a, a like and a subscribe and all that sort of stuff. That would be really great. Yeah, follow me on Instagram. Yeah. So I usually follow. post all my training, like when I'm training in desert and stuff like that to yeah. Yeah, sort of keep people, even mostly because my friends and family, because I have no routine, yep. they don't know if I'm home on the coast or in the desert or what. Right. So if I just put po- uh, pictures up every now and again, yeah. they think, oh, she's at work. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you put some beautiful photos up too as well, yeah. well some, from some of the spots you work. I've yeah. seen some great photos. So. You try to find the beauty in the worst, even the worst places that you have to work sure. in. Yeah. So it's sort of... Um, you know, I, I did an iPhone photography course just right. online, oh, cool. and it actually made me look at things in such a totally different way. I, I see beauty in everything now, yeah, you know, because yeah. you, you sort of learn how to maximise a photo uh-huh. and, you know, get it the best you can. And, you know, I'll be running on this desert track that's got nothing but a few salt bush things, yeah. and you see some perspective, and you think, make a really cool photo. Oh, like, <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's cool. So, yeah, it just um, gives you something to think about. Great. Mm. Cool. All right, Amanda. Well, yeah, thanks again, and... Um, Yeah, thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, We'll see you soon. Cheers.